I don't remember how old I was, but I was old enough that I could, or young enough, I should say, that I could hide in one of those uh, clothes racks that were at JCPenney. I remember in particular, we're at JCPenney, and it was one of those circle clothes racks that have the, you know, the clothes all hanging around it, and there's like a little thing in the middle. And uh, I oftentimes, when my mom would go shopping there, I would go and hide inside of one of those and my, my hope was is that she would pull back the, the clothes and I would jump out and scare her, um, which is really a bad idea. Kids don't do that. Um, it, no, it doesn't end well for you. Uh, so um, I was doing that. That was my hope to do that. And um, I'm, I'm small enough that I'm in there. So it's probably, my guess is I'm going to four or five, six, maybe somewhere in the neck of the woods. But um, so I was sitting there and I'm, I'm getting ready to scare my mom. And um, all of a sudden, I hear her voice, and she's calling me to come. And, and I knew, like I did with my dad's whistle, that meant now. That didn't mean when you felt like it. That didn't mean, you know, oh, I'll just sit here a little while longer and, and make my mom whatever. No, I knew that that voice that she used and my name meant get up now and come to me. Um, and so I got up, and uh, that time... <laughs> And um, went to uh, my, my mom, I thought, and uh, I'm standing next to a lady, and I reached up and I grabbed her hand, and I, and I realized it wasn't her. And she realized, she looks down at me, and she's like, do you need something? And I'm like, I look up at her, and I just started yelling, screaming, like, ah! You know, like, like, uh, like in Home Alone when he puts the aftershave on his face. Um, I mean, it was... It was I was freaking out, and, uh, and my mom, my, I, I don't know if she was watching this whole thing, probably was, but, but she, she, was, she was calling again and saying, Jason, come here, come here, and I knew her voice, and I knew this lady that was standing there was not my mom, uh, she wasn't very friendly anyway, and, and so uh, I knew it wasn't my mom, and, and so I heard her voice, and she kept calling. And I ran to where she was at, and my mom picked me up, gave me a big hug. I was, I probably, I'm sure I was crying. I was freaking out because um, I didn't know where she was. And J.C. Penney at the time I thought was just this massive building, even though it really wasn't. And, and uh, you know, it just it was a comfort. It was a peace. It was, it was, it was just like, ah, oh, I'm in my mom's arms. And, and I was thinking about that in light of, of burning questions and in light of asking questions and trusting God and believing in God and all that. And we talked about, I believe it was last week, about knowing his voice and listening to him and, and going to him and realizing that he has the words of truth, that he, his word is true and that what he has done for us is enough and that we can trust him. And my mom, I knew my mom's voice and I, and I trusted her because she loved me, she cared for me, she uh, did all kinds of things that were enough for me to be able to trust her, and so I did. And and I wonder though, in our lives, are, do we have a relationship with God like that, where we can hear His voice, we can run to Him, we can go to Him, and we know that in His embrace, in His presence, there's hope, there's peace, there's comfort, there's joy, there there is safety in that, and and I can run to Him, and I believe it because His word is true. There's no error in it. There's no falsehood in it. It's true. I can trust it, and I can know that God is in control and that what he's done for me and that what he's given to me is enough. 
And I want you to understand, why is, why is that so important? Because here's the deal. Ever since the beginning, Satan made Adam and Eve question those two things. Is God's word really true? And is what he's saying and is what he's giving you enough? And, and from the very get-go, people began to question I don't think God's word is true. I think he is a liar. He's holding out on me. He's holding back. He's got more that he could give me, but he's not doing it. And, and what he's done for me is not enough. And if you think about it, in light of all the things going on in our lives and around us and, and, and in our world today, it all comes back, in my opinion, to those two things. Is God's word true and is what God has done enough? And, and, and what we're seeking in our lives is, 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 is fulfillment and, and our identity because we don't truly believe God's word is true and we don't truly believe what he's done for us is enough. So we got to look for it somewhere else. We got to look for it in ourselves. We got to look for it from somebody else. And, and we listen to everything in anybody else and do other things to try to fill our identity when God's word is true and what he's done is enough. And if we don't believe that, and we're not settled on that, then I can tell you this, as we dive into some of the topics we're going to dive into in the next month and a half, some of them are, are serious, hot-button issues right now in our culture. And, and I'm telling you, you're, you're, if we're not willing to say God's word is true, and God is, what he give, has given us and done for us is enough, then, then we'll, we'll leave here, even, even today what we're going to talk about, you'll leave here frustrated, angry, and I don't know what else. But you, got, you have to come to grips with that in your life. Is this word true, and is what he's done for me enough? Is it enough? Here we go. Luke chapter 15. Turn there if you would. Turn to Luke chapter 15. Jesus is giving a parable. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's the way I learned it when I was a kid. And it's an earthly story that could have very likely happened and, and most likely did. But it has a spiritual meaning to it that Jesus is pointing out to the people that are listening. And, and so we're, we're going to dive into this and, and utilize this to, to bring out some um, answers to some of the questions that that you all have been asking. And, and uh, again, I'm excited about the opportunity to, to do this, but um, be warned, you may not like what uh, is about to be said. <laughs> um, and, I, and, I, and I want you to understand, though, it's coming from a place like Jesus, from love and from compassion and from a desire for you to love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, so let's dive in. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus said to them, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the sh my share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything. A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Let's just be honest. Uh, Relationships are messy. And they're messy because of us. I mean, let's just be honest. Either it's something I've done or something another person has done, but relationships are messy and, and they're difficult and they have all kinds of influence on our lives. And we understand that. We get that in, in relationship to others in our life. We all know there are people in our lives that push our buttons. Or am I the only one here that has people like that in their life? Um, or I am a person like that to other people. Uh, we, they're messy. And, and the reality is, is that not only are our relationships here on, on a horizontal plane messy, but our relationship with God oftentimes gets messy. And, and let me just say, it's not God's fault that it gets messy. It's not God's fault that it gets messy. It's ours. It's the decisions that we make in relationship to him. It's the decisions that we make in, in what we believe and what we think about God. Not, not the other way around. Not, not the other way around. And so what we have here in this story is we have a prodigal son who, who quite honestly, I believe, represents all of us at one point or another in our lives. Every single one of us have been or are or we may struggle with being a prodigal in one way or another. Notice this man, he rejects his father. He rejects his father. He basically tells his dad, Dad, I wish you were dead, and I want my inheritance now. He rejects his father. He turns away from, God, from his father, knowing that his father loves him, cares about him, whatever. He turns away from it, and he walks away and goes and lives his own life and does his own thing. Man, I get that. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but think about how many of you have gone and lived your life the way you thought you wanted to, done your thing, done it your way, and, and, and that's, you've done that, or you're doing that. And, that. and then I think there's also those who realize, you know what, with my father, what am I doing? With my father, there was so much, it was so much better. Why am I here? I need to go to the father. The father in, in this parable is God. Is God. So the first question that I want to deal with is, is 
These are all relational questions in relationship to God. If God created the universe and everything in it, would that make us his children? Or is it a declaration of him as Lord and Savior that makes us his children? Or is it something else all together? We understand the physical side of, of what makes us kids and, 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 and parents. At least I think we do, beginning to wonder in our society. But that's another day, another topic, another time. We won't go there. And I also told you I'd give you fair warning, so we're not going to talk about birds and bees today. So I think we get that physically. But spiritually, do, do we get what makes us children of God spiritually? Do we get, do we get what makes us children of God in, in, in all reality in our lives? Because what it's not is that we're made in his image. Yes, the Bible says in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, we are made in the image of God. We are image bearers of God. But that does not make us children of God. Why? Because sin entered into the world and messed that whole picture up. We were designed to be children of God. Every single human being is designed to be a child of God. But because of sin, we are no longer children of God. We're enemies of God. We are at odds with God. We are separated from God because of sin. Sin separates us from God, and we are not his children. We are his enemy. But we're designed to be his kids. We're designed to be children of his, but, but, but make, being made in his image does not make us a child of God. And what ends up happening is, is that, that we think that somehow if we just do the right things, that will be what makes us a child of God. That will be what makes us acceptable in the sight of God. That will be what makes us able to spend eternity with him. And Satan has us duped into thinking that it's by my works that somehow I obtain those kinds of things in relationship to God. You look at all the religions of the world, and they're all about escaping God's wrath and appeasing Him, making Him happy. None of those things. Satan has, has duped us into thinking that, that somehow if we just do X, Y, Z, then we'll be safe. We'll make it. So much so that Barna Research, which is a very reputable research place, institution, whatever you want to call it, they researched and they surveyed thousands of church-going people who said, yes, I have a relationship with Jesus. I know Jesus, and I attend this church, and I am a whatever type of Christian. And they asked them some simple, basic questions about who Jesus is, about, about salvation, about those kinds of things. And, 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 I, and I've, I've heard these answers. Ask somebody, okay, if you were to die today and stand before God, and God were to say, why should I let you in, what would you say to him? And these are the answers they got from, get this, 60% of all church-going people. That's six out of every ten 
in, in, a, in a church service attendance. Right now, there's 200 and some odd people in here. Let's go 60% of 200 is how much? 120. What they're saying is, is that 60% of those who attend church do not actually have a relationship with Jesus at all. And they are not going to make heaven their home. Does that not blow you away? Is that not scary to you? Does that not make you go, wait, hmm, wonder? And, and here's, the re- here's the answers. And, I, and I've heard these said right to my face. You're standing before God, and God says to you, why should I let you in? One of the answers that I've heard is this, I've gone to church my entire life. I, I'm a member of Harvest Time, been there 41 years. Can I just tell you, nowhere in the Bible will you find it say to you that by attending a church for 41 years and being a member of a church will enter you into the kingdom of God. Doesn't say that. I'm glad you come. Don't get me wrong. Please don't stop. Oh, my gosh. That'd be like a restaurant owner telling him, oh, my, my food's terrible. Don't come here. That's ridiculous. But that's not the answer. I've heard people say this. I was born into a Christian family. My mom and dad, they know Jesus, so that makes me a, a follower. No, it doesn't. The Bible does not say anywhere that that makes you a follower of Jesus. I, I've heard people say, well, I've been baptized. I was baptized when I was a baby. I was baptized when I was a teenager. I was baptized Whenever. Nowhere in Scripture will it say to you, baptism is entrance to heaven. Doesn't say that. Her people say, well, I went through confirmation. I did catechism. I did this thing. I did that thing. I, I, I'm a good person. Do you know what the Bible says? Jesus said, he said this, There will be people that will come to me and they will say to me, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name, I did that in your name, I did this in your name. And he will say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians tells us it's not by works that you can boast about that somehow you get salvation, that you get faith in God. It is not based on what you and I do. If it was, you and I could earn our way to heaven. We could earn our way to salvation. But the truth is, is that all of our works, the Bible says every one of our works is like filthy rags compared to God. In the sight of God, they're, they're, they're empty, they're void, they're, they're hopeless, apart from something, apart from someone. And the reality is, is you and I cannot make our way into heaven. You and I cannot earn our way in. You and I do not become children of God just because I claim to be a child of God. The only way, the only way is what Jesus said in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through, what did he say? Me. 
He didn't say baptism. He didn't say church attendance. He didn't say catechism. He didn't say any of those things. He said, through me. And and in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, but to all who did receive him, who's the him? That's Jesus, who believed in his name, he gives the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. See, the answer, the answer that, that we need to understand is, is that what makes us a child of God is not what I do or what I don't do. It makes, I'm a child of God because of what Jesus did. What Jesus did. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. It is not about what I do, it is all about what Jesus did. And if you're sitting here assuming that you're safe because of one of or many other just reasons that are not Jesus, my friend, you need to evaluate your heart and ask yourself, do I really know and have a relationship with Jesus? Have I put my faith and trust in Jesus? And if I were to stand before God and God were to say to me, why should I let you in? You can say, because Jesus said so. Because Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. Because Jesus is the one who I have my faith in. Not not my works, but Jesus' works. And that's what I'm going to bank my eternity on. Because the truth is, is that all of us, like we said in Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. prodigal turned his back on his father told him I wish you were dead and he walked away and he even tried he was thinking to himself hey if I just go back and I do these good works then I'll be accepted by my dad I'll be accepted by my father that's not what makes us a child of God what makes us a child of God is what Jesus has done you know Jesus. This morning we had a couple people that came forward at the end just weeping. They're like, I, I want to make sure I know. There was a kid that went to camp this past camp uh, in June. And uh, he, he did the whole sinner's prayer thing and and believing and by the way can I just say to you if you're banking your salvation on a sinner's prayer that's not it either it's not it's not in the Bible Jesus I'm the way the truth and the life if you say a sinner's prayer then you enter heaven no I'm the way the truth and the life through Jesus alone It's not not about the prayer. It's about who you're praying to. It's about the the, the condition of your heart. And am I putting my faith and trust in Jesus? And and this kid, he he did that at camp. And someone said that 
you know what? I think he did the same thing a year, a year earlier. I'm like, okay. If he does it again next week, okay. At least he's striving to make sure, I want to know I have a relationship with Jesus. I want, if nothing else, I want to reconfirm that in my life. And I get that because I grew up in the church, and when I was like five or six years old, I remember praying a prayer with my dad, and I know I was sincere at that moment, but then I went off to junior high and high school, and I lived life my way and did everything my own way, and I wanted nothing to do with God. And I remember going to college, and, and in January of 1992, God got a hold of my heart, and, and it was like, so obvious to me that I was living for myself, doing my own thing, and God slapped me upside my head in a loving, kind, compassionate way that he does, and, uh, and, and got all of my attention. And I realized by looking at people around me, I don't really know Jesus. Like, I know him intellectually in my mind, but I don't know him in my soul. And man, I mean, in January of 1992, I remember going forward getting down on my knees, surrendering before the Lord and saying, Jesus, here's my life. Take it. I don't want to be in control of it anymore. Can I tell you, since that day, it's never been the same since. It has never been the same since. Now, does that mean that I don't still struggle? Oh, my word. Of course I still struggle. Every day. I struggled. There was nobody even on the road this morning, on the way to, on the way to church, and, and I'm driving through the construction going, I hate this place. Man, that's messed up. Why, why? Why was I doing that? I'll tell you why. Because Satan don't like the fact that I'm on my way to church. Actually, he hates it. And, and some of y'all are like, man, some of the worst mornings are Sunday morning. Well, that's because you got an enemy that knows how to push your buttons. And he's going to do it to make you mad, tripped up, so you don't get to church and you don't want to listen. I'm so ticked off, I can't hear anything. Well, surprise. By the way, if Satan's messing with you, that's a pretty good indication you have a, a relationship with Jesus. I'm just saying. If he's not messing with you, you might want to be a little bit like, hmm, something's off. That's, that was free. <laughs> so how sinful can a person be that God would not forgive them? Is there an unforgivable sin? much time I got? Six minutes. Good. That's not much for that. I can tell you that. Man, you look at the prodigal, right? Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. Verse 13, not many days later, he goes off to a far country. He squanders all of his inheritance doing what? Reckless living. Living his own way. Which, by the way, is, is not consistent with living God's way. You, you cannot live your own way and live God's way at the same time. Just saying. Can't do it. Many of you in here, you can testify to the fact that maybe you've tried that or you've been living your own way and, and you're just like, I can't do this. So he does that. And then he disgraces his family by getting a job feeding pigs. And wanting to eat what they were eating. And somebody say, well, this young man, this isn't that bad. This is bad. Like, I know, I know we, in, in, in our human nature, and our human understanding, we like to put 
parameters around sin, and we say this sin is worse than that sin, and this sin is worse than that sin, and whatever, and we make all these categories for sin. The Bible says that if you have broken a commandment, you have broken all the commandments. You are guilty of all sin. Not, not just a sin, you're guilty of it all. That, that's why it says, for, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if, if there is a, if we're too gone in order for us to be forgiven, that's a scary place to think about because who gets to be the judge of that? What I love is, is what the word says, Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So this takes us back to our original two questions. Is what God says in his word true, and is what God has done for us enough? Because I don't know about you, I can't wrap my mind completely around God's perfect justice, his perfect mercy, his perfect grace, his perfect righteousness, his perfect holiness, his perfect sovereignty. I can't wrap my mind around all that. But I trust him that he's telling me the truth when he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then 1 John 2.2, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but for, for also for the sins of the whole world. Sins, that, that is, in the language and in the tense that's used here, it means past, present, future sins. All sin. Jesus paid it all for all of our sin, past, present, future. For not just a select group of people, all people. And check this out. I said this verse last week, Psalm 130, verses 3 through 4. If you, Lord, kept a record of sin, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. You know what Satan wants to do? And some of y'all, he's doing it to right now. He's whispering in your ear and saying to you, you could never possibly be forgiven from God. You can never experience the forgiveness of God. You can never experience the healing of God. You can never experience God breaking the chains of slavery to sin in your life. You can never do that because you, my friend, are no good. You are worthless, you're horrible, and you'll never be loved by God. That's Satan talking to you right now, my friend. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin, and he forgives you of your sin, regardless of what it is. And you say, yeah, but wait, what about this other question? Is there an unforgivable sin? The answer to that is yes. Yes, there is. What is it? Well, if you go to, to Mark chapter 2, and I'm not going to tell you, or Mark chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 12, write these down. I don't have time to go into them right now. But Jesus is confronting the Pharisees about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. What does that word blasphemy mean? It means defiant irreverence. It's a term applied to sin as cursing God or willfully degrading things relating to God. Blasphemy is attributing some evil to God or denying him some good that you should attribute to him. With the Pharisees, what they were doing, they saw Jesus they saw all the miracles that he was doing. They saw all the proof that he was the Messiah. 
the promised one to come. And he was healing people, and they were saying to him, this isn't of God's power. This man is possessed by Satan. This is of Satan's power. And in that moment, what they were doing is they were, they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit. They were saying, this is not of God. This is of Satan. This is of the devil. And they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and they were saying, this is not of God. You need to reject this. And as a result, they rejected it. So for us today, what, is, what does this mean? It, it's, it's a similar thing in that what the unpardonable sin is, is that if you continually reject Jesus to the point of your death and you die in that sin, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you your sin and you die in that sin, my friend, you can never be forgiven. You have died in that sin. You See, and some people say, well, God sends people. No, God does not send people to hell. People send people to hell. You make your own choice of going to heaven or to hell. Every single one of us has that choice to make. Like, dang, man, what are you getting harsh? I'm not. I'm trying to warn you. This is a reality in our lives. And if God's word is true and what he's done for us is enough, then we have got to go, okay, do I actually have a relationship with Jesus or have I been rejecting Jesus all the way up to this point in my life? My friend, if you continue to reject Jesus and you die rejecting Jesus, you will not be able to be forgiven for that sin. That, that's what Jesus is talking about. That's what the Bible is talking about. But guess what? That's not God's desire for you. So what did he do? He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross, rise again defeat the power of sin and the power of death and give to you eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through, guess what? Not baptism, not church attendance, not Bible reading, not prayer, through Jesus Christ. Now, are all those other things good? Absolutely. Why? Because they help me understand better who Jesus is and they help me grow in my love for Jesus. We get saved so that we do good works. We don't do good works so that we get saved. Are, are you listening to what I'm saying? Satan ha has so duped our world into thinking that all I got to do is I got to check off this list and I'm good. I'm safe. No. No, no. You, you'll never be good enough apart from Christ. Without Jesus, there's no hope. So, so what happens? This, this prodigal, what, what does it say? Verse 17, when he came to himself. Now, other versions may say he came to his senses. And he realized, my father's servants have more than I have. I need to go back. I need to go to my Father, I need to, to go to him, and I'll tell him, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven, I don't, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, treat me as one of your hired servants, I, I just want to be back in your presence, I just want to be with you, and I, and I love what happens, he goes back to his father, and he's saying this stuff, and what does his father do? His father, before he even sees him, before he even says anything, before this kid ever says anything, I guess he's a kid, let's just call him a kid, because he's probably younger than 50, um, he, he he is, he's off, and what, what does it say? 
His father saw him. His father saw him a long way off, verse 20, felt compassion, and his father ran and embraced him and kissed him and said to him. Now his son was trying to say, Father, Father, and he stopped him and he said, No, my son who is dead is alive again. He was lost. He's found. Let us celebrate. That's the God who loves you who cares deeply for you and longs to be in relationship with you. And my friend, if you'll return to him or you'll turn to him and go to him, even this very moment, there will be, the Bible says, celebration in heaven like you've never, ever experienced. And the beauty is, is that celebration, it filters down into our soul. This morning I was talking to a young lady and she was saying, I I feel so empty, I feel so lost, I feel so whatever. That is not the celebration. The celebration, that's what happens when you believe Satan. That's what happens when you believe the lies that Satan is throwing your way. When you're drinking his Kool-Aid, that is what's going to happen to you. Celebration. Listen, I, I don't know your heart, I don't know your soul, and I don't need to, but God does. If you were to stand before God today and he were to say to you, why should I let you in? What would you say to him? What would you say? I'm going to ask you if you would, just close your eyes, bow your head. Jordan and Reagan are going to come and lead in one last song. There's going to be some people up here at the front. There's going to be some people at the back. Why are they there? They're there to pray with you. They're there to pray for you. You don't have to say anything about what what you need prayer for. You can just say, hey, could you pray for me? They'll do it. We're not here to judge you. We're not here to try to guilt you into something or shame you into something. Listen, guilt and shame, that's from Satan, by the way. Conviction, that's from the Lord. See, guilt and shame, it's all about taking you away from God. Conviction's all about bringing you closer. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. So if you're here today and you're feeling that conviction, God's tugging at your heart, he's pounding on your heart's door, would you let him in? Would you open it? Say, God, come in. Again, I don't know your heart, I don't need to. I'm not your judge, I'm not your jury, I'm not your anything. I'm just a guy sharing the word with you. But God's speaking. God speaks. Are you listening? Lord, thanks. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you offer us forgiveness of sin, no matter what it is. God, I pray that, that today there'd be somebody here that doesn't know you. First, they put their faith and trust in you. There's somebody here that has known you, but they've walked away. They've been doing their own thing. I pray, God, that they would, whatever you want to call it, rededicate themselves, surrender themselves to, to you, let you be Lord in their life. Thanks for what you're going to do here in this moment. Help us to be willing to do what you call us to do. Again, you don't have to come forward, but you can turn right to the person next to you and just say, hey, can you pray for me?